This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hi, listeners. For our bonus episode today, we wanted to introduce you to a new podcast from Fast Company that we think you're going to love. It's called Hit the Ground Running, and it's all about how to navigate the ever-changing world of work as an early career professional. The show's hosted by Yasmin Gagne and Christina Royster, two women in their 20s here at Fast Company. In this episode, they talk about how to use social media as a working professional. We put in links in the show notes for where you can subscribe to this podcast so you don't have to miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with a new episode of The New Way We Work. I'm Christina Royster. And I'm Yasmin Gagne. And you're listening to Hit the Ground Running, a fast company podcast where we help young professionals uncover how to make it in the ever-changing world of work. On today's episode, we talk about how to navigate your personal and professional social media presence. And we speak with author and former New York Times and vice journalist Jamal Jordan about how he handles his own Instagram and Twitter accounts. Yes. I have been debating whether or not I need a burner Twitter account. What? Um, a burner account? Yes. So let me tell you, I have just been recently getting some more followers on Twitter, you know, working from Fast Company, doing this podcast. I'm getting my name out there. And some of my coworkers have been following me on Twitter, which I never really had to experience before. And now I'm just taking a step back and I'm thinking maybe I need a burner account so I can kind of have like a work Twitter and a play Twitter because I don't want, you know, what happened to Paul Pierce to happen to me. Oh my God. You're, uh, I feel so anxious about this now and about my own social presence. What, what happened to Paul Pierce? Okay. So Paul Pierce was an NBA analyst for ESPN and he had a little bit too much fun on Instagram live. I don't know what he was celebrating, but he had dancers who were half naked. He had alcohol. He was clearly under the influence. He was on Instagram live talking crazy and it was not a good look for him. It was not professional and he ended up losing his job. So, I mean, I would never do anything that crazy on social media, but ever since my coworkers and managers have been following me on Twitter, I have taken a step back and really basically hesitated for every retweet and like, I'm thinking, okay, I can't like this anymore. I don't want this to come up on their timeline because of me. I feel like I like things kind of unconsciously. And then I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. But also, yes, exactly. You know, I guess the lesson here is next time I'm at a party for me surrounded by half naked people, I will not go on Instagram <laughs> live. Like I would just never do that. I mean, do you utilize like close friends on Instagram? Not really, but I'm not a huge Instagram stories person. It takes so much effort. I want to live my life where I'm not like every second being like, should I post something? Should I, you know? Recently, I had a a little birthday gathering. It was just a game night with some friends and alcohol. And first of all, we're both legally drinking age. Like I'm 26 years old. But for some reason, I just wanted to post it on my close friends instead of for the public because I didn't want my coworkers seeing me throwing back shots and having fun with my friends. I want to keep a professional image. It sounds like that's one boundary, right? Like you don't want your coworkers to see you taking shots. Yeah. What are your other boundaries? Like thirst traps? What are you thinking? For me, you know, outside of Fast Company, I would just consider myself a content creator. I love jumping on TikTok trends and stuff like that. And so that one trend, it was called the Busset Challenge. And everybody was doing their little transformation video to the song Busset. 
And I was like, this looks so fun and I want to jump on. But the first thing I immediately thought of was, this is not good for my brand. I can't post this on Instagram. People will be looking at me crazy, you know? And I did kind of feel like my creativity was stifled because I wanted to have fun just like everybody else too. But I have an image to uphold on social media now, being in the media and being a public figure. I'm making myself sound more important than I am. I'm not a public figure. (laughs) Yeah, it was like, have I ever thought of myself as a public figure? Like, no, but maybe I should. I don't know. I use Instagram, like I post when I want and I scroll through it a lot. And Twitter, I'm just like not pithy enough. You know, some people are really good at Twitter. I'm just not one of those people. You know, I haven't used TikTok. I'm not that familiar with other platforms. What's your favorite platform and why? I would say it's a close tie between Instagram and Twitter. Instagram, I have been active on there since 2012, I think. So I really have put a lot of effort into my feed and engaging with my audience, as the influencers say. I'm a visual person. You know, I have a graphic design background, so I just love the imagery on Instagram. I don't really get that on Twitter a lot, but I do love Twitter because back in the day, I used to really use it as like my own diary. I've since outgrown that, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) I used to just tweet anything. I I started Twitter when I was in high school, you know? So I used to just tweet the cliche, like what I'm having for breakfast. Nowadays, I really love Twitter because... I can use it as a news source. I can watch live sports. Everything is in one app. And it's just a good laugh sometimes when you just need a good laugh. But to your point, I feel like I'm not witty enough sometimes with my tweets. Like social media is kind of a game these days. If you want the likes and the retweets, you have to say the right thing. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, it's funny. I wrote an essay on fastcompany.com, guys. Check it out. (laughs) This was like a year ago more than a year ago, pre-COVID, about how Instagram had been around for 10 years and looking at how the platform had changed. I loved it at the beginning when it was like a, like you just saw photos as they were posted. There were no ads, like that wasn't a thing yet. Instagram, you know, the sort of influencers were in a thing in such a big way and how it's like slowly and slowly and slowly turned into this like basically shopping app. And it makes me kind of sad I guess it's like, I I feel like it's, it's less of a fun experience. I feel like I'm comparing myself Mm -hmm. so much more to people than I did before. Oh, me too. And like, I remember putting in a line that was like, you know, I've been using it for 10 years. So since I was in college and like, it's almost like hard for me to remember a time when I didn't on some level think of myself as like a brand that said my brand on Instagram is like kind of stupid. I like your Instagram aesthetic. They say how you just post like random things, but they all seem to come together. And I'm glad that you don't overanalyze your captions and post too much because sometimes I can get really bogged down with posting at the right time, the right hashtags, the right lighting. And sometimes I just see you and you're like, here's my cat. (laughs) And I like that. So I was looking at your Instagram and I was looking at mine and yours is like very professional, you know, like you post photos where you always look good in them and your boyfriend is really cute. And (laughs) you know what I mean? Whereas like I have one, I was looking through this morning, like I posted a photo of like my boyfriend flipping the bird at the camera a few days ago. And I was like, "Mm, am I qualified to go on this podcast and talk about like (laughs) having a solid personal brand? (laughs) Let's just talk about like how much of your personal life do you share on social media? Because for me, people who follow me have definitely seen at some point or another, my boyfriend, my mom, my friends. Sometimes I talk about my religion on there. So I pretty much still use my Instagram as a personal Instagram. But now I'm just thinking, 
if anybody wants to contact me for fast company related things or work related things, should I create a separate account for that? Because I'm kind of the person like you get what you get. I'm the same at work and at home. So that's why I just have one account. I just feel like Christina as a whole, you're going to get all the pieces of Christina, but I don't know. I've thought about that too. I guess it's more that if I created just to work Instagram, it would be pretty boring. I am pretty selective about what I share, you know, like I don't share a ton of details about my personal life. Like say me and my boyfriend have a fight. I'm not writing about that. So I have this chronic illness. It's called endometriosis. And what it means is often like, you know, once a month, once every two months, I'm like really knocked out. You know, I get migraines, I get nauseous. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's just awful. And I've never posted about that on social media. And then yesterday, a big New York Times article came out about it. It was a profile of this woman who's studying it named Linda Griffith. And I like shared it on my Instagram stories. And I was like, should I have put that on my stories? Like, I don't want people to pity me. Like, that was not the goal. And, you know, I didn't write like a long caption being like, this is how the disease made my life terrible. But I think that was an instance of like, I'm like, did I overshare? Mm -hmm. Was that the right thing to do? I I don't know. From a social media standpoint, people say that your audience wants to see your authentic self and they want a peek behind the curtain into your life. That's really why we follow people, right? Like we want to see what's going on. Yeah, it's But as you said, people always post what's the good that's going on in their life. Nobody's ever going to post their bad days on social media. And I'm not the type of person that's going to get on my story crying or anything, but I definitely will go on there. can be a little preachy sometimes and I'll go on there and share positive quotes and let people know what I'm going through just because it's relatable. Like I'm tired of the fake stuff too, you know? So something we both talked about is like social media has been around for like our entire like teen years through our adult life. Right. I don't know about you, but when I was 16 and I got Facebook for the first time, Mm -hmm. like I was really stupid, you know, like truly just like, I mean, I, I really believe this is probably all 16 year olds. Like you're just an idiot. And even like, I mean, I'm an idiot now, but like, you know, my freshman year of college, I got Twitter and I'm like, what could I possibly have tweeted? You know, I don't know if you remember this, this journalist who previously worked for Axios named Alexi McCammond was named as Vogue editor in chief. And some old tweets that she'd made resurfaced that sort of said pretty offensive things about Asian Americans. And she made them in college. She apologized for them in 2019. But you know, they came up again and it sort of became a contentious issue and she ended up resigning. And I recently installed a thing where like any tweets that are more than a month will just automatically get deleted from my Twitter account. Mm -hmm. Not because I think I've posted anything bad, but I just don't know. Like when I was 18, like who knows what I said? That's a good idea. (laughs) I think about this a lot with cancel culture and this has happened so many times recently. People's old tweets come up I think to myself, oh, it's a good thing I'm not famous. Nobody's going to see my old tweets. Yeah. So, (laughs) but like you said, I don't remember what I was saying when I was, what, 16 on Twitter? Like, and the, the fact of the matter is times have changed. We weren't as politically correct as we were before. So hopefully I didn't say anything. Yeah. I was personally just not as like aware of the world because I was like a dumb 18 year old who was like obsessed with stupid. Like, listen, I was still buying like Cosmo magazine. What? I mean, obviously the publications changed, but like sometimes I look back at like the issues that I read and I'm like, what? Was I following this advice? No, yeah, I definitely got like career advice from Seventeen Magazine. So, (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny now that I'm a magazine editor, I'm like, (laughs) you know. It's crazy. 
here's five tips to do this. And, and it's not that it's not true. Like I get from experts, I know they're well-researched, but I'm like, I'm the person (laughs) putting this out in the world. I don't know. It's a weird feeling, but do you think, you know, going back to Alexi, for example, I mean, do you think she should have been canceled? Do you think she should have been like, you know, she shouldn't have gotten that job? Yeah. I think that at the end of the day, you know, Alexi had a couple things going against her. Number one, the tweets surfaced at a bad time. I, I don't know if somebody went looking for those tweets and they and they popped up or if they just surfaced at the bad time. But um, not only that, the timing of it, but also her staff was not happy. And you can't really lead a staff that isn't pleased with you or doesn't like you. And then to make matters worse, the, the word got out to the audience and Teen Vogue readers didn't want to support Teen Vogue if they had well, some people were calling her a racist for these old tweets. And that's the thing, you know, maybe she did change and maybe her opinions did change. But the fact of the matter is she did say those things at one point. So I feel like she'll be canceled for now, but kind of like how other celebrities get canceled and then come back around. Maybe she'll get canceled for now and people will will slowly forgive her. But I think resigning was definitely the best choice for her and for the brand. That brand would have tanked if they had kept her on staff. So I'm sad that, you know, this woman of color said those things about other people of color and lost her job because of it. But it's just a lesson learned for all of us, really. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. We are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we talk to an actual expert. That's Jamal Jordan. He's the author of Queer Love and Color, a photographic celebration of the love and relationships of queer people of color. And he's also a multimedia journalist who's worked for outlets, including Vice and The New York Times. This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. So Jamal, you're someone who is one of my favorite follows on Twitter. And um, you have- I'm so honored. (laughs) You you know, you've worked at places like the New York Times, which is obviously a very famous newsroom. And I'm curious, you know, when you were in those roles, how did you kind of think about your social media presence at that time? And has that changed now that you're kind of more independent? That's such a good question. Uh, I think for me, it's like, I, I think of it like this, right? Like uh, journalism is very much a like straight all white boys club. I was very conscious, like I'm finding to say like, all right, well, I'm just being this person in the office, but I'm actually like have a space where I can work very publicly um, and just like, talk about it. It felt very empowering to have a space where it's like, all right, well, you guys are going to ignore my idea, but like the 10,000 people on Twitter who want to like, mm-hmm. like listen to it, will listen to it. I'm lucky in that like m- most of my very, very close friends aren't on Twitter. Um, and so it feels very much like, like as soon as I close my phone, like no one cares about the, like the super viral tweet I have going. So which makes it feel very healthy to me. It's like, all right, well, you know, no one in my home cares about my Twitter thread. So that, that helps you. Keep it in perspective. I remember I had one time when uh, editor at NBC wouldn't let me do the story on a member named Cash because um, she's like, oh, like her audience isn't going to be into that, all this stuff. And so I was like, no, fuck you. I'm going to show you. And so uh, I like stopped the story, edited it and edited it in three days. Um, we tweeted it. And I remember it was like the most viral thing that was in politics that like NBC News had done that year. Wow. Wow. That's huge. No, I love that. So you like you kind of use it to do your job, but also to get your way in your job. 
if you spend all your time on social media, you just recognize like how much of a disconnect there is between like all of the very young people on the internet and all the like not very like, kind of out of touch people who run newsrooms. There came a point in which it was like everything I say to you should not be a fight. Like there's a very large like sample size audience that you can have to say there's an audience for stories that we are telling. It serves as a really great like starting point for that yeah i've been in social media since i was in high school like i was the mayor of my high school's like facebook group (laughs) y'all are kind of young but um when i was a child when i was 13 when facebook made its expansion from like colleges to like high schools every high school had to have like a mayor basically the first person to be oh i'm gonna do this but no i've always like been able to meet lots of friends and connect with people on social media that way yeah and so like when i think of my role as a journalist especially working at a like working at places like the new york times which feel very like hard to permeate i just find it kind of like as my responsibility like i'm a young black dude i walk into the times and felt awkward every day like it's it's i think it's, it was important for me to be like hey like just just so you guys know like you can connect with someone in this space someone that like is doing a huge, huge thing, right? And so I, I very purposely tried to stay genuine to whatever shit I was thinking, like no matter where I was working. So no, that was great. I was gonna say, going off of that, like, do you follow your coworkers and managers on social media and vice versa? Because I was talking to Yaz about possibly getting a burner account because I feel like my personal Twitter account has become my work Twitter account. And now that all my coworkers are following me, I don't want them seeing like, for example, I had a my birthday recently passed and I posted a picture with a, a big lotto quote. It was like big cake like it's my b-day and my manager liked it and i was like oh my god i can't do this no more i need a burner account so do how do you feel about posting personal stuff on your twitter account i definitely have a burner account um but uh that's a different podcast um <laughs> and honestly i don't care like i, I think my managers have always like found me on social media like pretty early i tweeted about sexual and like racial harassment and like vice um and the people i saw when i worked there and my manager is actually cool enough to speak, be like hey like you started in a couple weeks saw this viral twitter thread about your previous work experiences like you want to talk about it like how are you doing and so like that was really cool um i've had like some more negative stuff like i when i was younger i would subtweet my uh, job a lot I, I was 25 and i said oh yeah i've learned so many like new job skills uh getting coffee and dealing with white men's temper tantrums <laughs> um, <laughs> working in places that have like these really strict social media policies it interestingly helps you find a way to be genuine when you know there's so many rules that you can break i'm pretty comfortable with like any person seeing like my main account including my managers and remember the box the song by roddy rich i did have to explain that song to my managers once <laughs> i have had to explain like lots of awkward memes one time at nbc news someone saw my tumblr and asked me to explain what thrissy was in front of the entire in front of, in front of like my managers it's sometimes it's like oh like you're the you're the meme guy explain this weird shit to that's why I feel like I have to be careful with what I'm liking because I'll just passively like something, but I forget that Twitter shows people my likes. I don't want anybody seeing what I'm liking on oh, there. Oh, that happened before one time. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I remember I, I like something appropriate. And then one of my followers was like, oh, Jamal, I'll see you. I was like, I'll put, you, right, put your business all out there for everybody. I, uh, I saw a tweet from you where you were like, now that I'm not in the New York Times, like, I can tweet whatever I want. I mean, you said you had something smarter and funnier to say than what I just paraphrased, but what kinds of stuff can you tweet now that you couldn't before? Honestly, I don't know. Like, you know, the the pre you're in trouble talk about social media. I've gotten that a lot at work over just like innocuous shit. Like, um, 
one time I called Maggie Haberman's dad sis. Um, <laughs> three, four, like, Jamal, you can't do that. But honestly, it's, like, not even the big things. I think it's, like, little shit like that where it's, like, oh, like, people just get petty about stuff on Twitter and then try to get you fired for it. <laughs> and especially when times they're, like, you can't tweet about race. No. I have to find the thing that is so edgy that I couldn't tweet about it before. I made jokes about, like, weed legalization. I wouldn't have done that if I were still employed, so... Yeah, um, me and Yaz were talking about cancel culture and how people dig up your old tweets. How do you feel about cancel culture? And if anybody were to find your old tweets? You won't find them. I deleted them. <laughs> no, uh, I I was definitely paranoid for a minute about old tweets and deleted all those shits. Then again, like, I mean, some of the things that people are getting canceled for is like, I personally never called for the like extinction of an entire race of people when I was 16. Like, I wasn't saying anything ridiculous, but it's 2021. If your old tweets are on the internet, then that's on you. Yeah, we really used to say some out-of-pocket shit. Like, you couldn't say that stuff nowadays. People always say, like, oh, y'all wouldn't survive 2012 uh, Twitter, you know, back then. I did the same thing. I'm like, I'm not responsible for what I tweeted when I am when I was 16. I was so dumb. <gasps> like, I, can't, I mean, I am responsible, but, like, it, they need to just go. I put a lot of work into finding another app that made me feel smarter, but, like, fed, like, fed that, like, constant like rejiggering of the timeline thing. What is it like ground news? It's like the, this app that judges whether you're like left-leaning or right-leaning and you're like, it's hard. I feel like talking about having healthy Twitter habits is like a bunch of like people in a bar discussing like how not to be alcoholics. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really just having people in my real life will be like, Jamal, that shit doesn't matter. <laughs> um, like really helps. I used to be so proud of my tweets. I'd be like, well, look at this tweet. And my friend's like, no one cares. I don't care. Go outside. No one cares. That's really helpful. To know. But then it's like, it, it's so weird because it's like, on one hand, no one cares. But also, like, I know some of the biggest opportunities in my life have come from social media. So, like, what are some of those opportunities? Like, what are those big opportunities that you managed to get through social media? I met, I met the agent who eventually sold my book on Twitter. I once tweeted that I wanted to teach and then I got a job teaching a class at Stanford. What? I mean, on one, I mean, on one <laughs> hand, Twitter is Twitter, but then also it's like, oh, you're you're asking, a, you're asking a very large community of people for help and maybe someone will help you. I mean, do you have any advice for us? So say, for example, like I don't have a super large Twitter following, but I'm also so self-conscious about tweeting. It like makes me feel really nervous. But, you know, as two media professionals who are earlier on in their career, like, do you have any advice for how to use those platforms. What I always tell my students is like, if your goal is to like have a large following on a social media platform, I think ask yourself, if I were someone else, like what would you be adding to my timeline? Mostly just because of my limited mind. I tweet about the same like five things, like uh, my book, racism, under like things I'm cooking in general, like making other magazine covers. And it's like, all right, like you know what you're gonna get. It's either like racism is bad, journalism sucks, or like look at what this guy on Grindr said. And <laughs> so I, mean, I think there's like consistency in that is really helpful. I think remembering that it's a community and just like engaging with a lot of people is like really important, not only for the, the numbers part of it, but like that's what actually makes it fun to do I, I try to think of it in terms of how i think of irl like interactions where it's like if you can try to make your page and just some kind of community hub that's like really important it's like hey i want to like be open about whatever things i'm showing and maybe people will come along with me and self-consciousness never helps so. i really like that um my last question for you first of all tell us where you can we can find you on twitter and secondly tell us the story behind your twitter name my twitter handle and i think all my social media is a lost black boy 
And uh, I've had my handle since I was uh, 14. I, there is no profound story. I was I was 14 years old. I just moved to Detroit. I was going to a, like a like a white high school, like a wealthy white high school, and I was was not. I was neither wealthy nor white. So I was like, damn, I'm literally lost black boy in the school. And so I just kind of. Stuck. I love that. I mean, it's I don't love I don't love that you went through that, but like it's a it's a, it's it is a nice story. <laughs> I like the Twitter name versus the handle. Lil Uzi hurt. Why you uh, hurt? <laughs> Uh, I was literally uh, I was listening to this remix of Money Longer by um, Lucy Vert and uh, it was this like sad remix and I I listened to it over and over and I just remember being like I'm Lucy Vert now y'all and I was like wait that's a great name (laughs) (laughs) but um, my my social media handles have changed first it was Chris underscore Tina that was you know the first one right out of high school then I tried C Roy Roy that didn't really go over well that didn't take off that didn't really take. And now it's Miss Chris D. And I've just kept that one. That's my persona. I like that. Yeah, mine is, mine is Yasmin Gagne on Twitter. She's my name. My Instagram is Yazzie G because I was a big Ali G fan. It's also my email when I was like 14. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's good, but. I love this trend of like refusing to use their real name on the internet. It's like, I'd like the next Times editor in chief is going to be like like Pfizer Poppy on Twitter or something like. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, well, Jamal, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yes, thank you. Awesome. All right, so yes, that was a real fun conversation we had with Jamal. I really enjoyed that a lot, and I want to know what is your takeaway from it. First all? First of all, I want to apologize to our listeners for some of my cackles. Um, <laughs> it happened. Me laughing. <laughs> <laughs> some of my biggest takeaways were one delete your old tweets, just like find a way. If you were an idiot high school or college student, you know, you got to sit there and just go through your profiles and delete. The other thing is, you know, use social media as a space, use your personality, use it as a space to let out ideas that maybe don't automatically fit into, you know, exactly what you're working on. And uh, don't be too self-conscious. What did you think, Christina? Yeah, I like your point about um, kind of using social media to your advantage. He talked about how he just posted about his book and he's gotten so many opportunities from Twitter, like just posting about your passion projects and what interests you, whether it's music or racism, anything in between. If you post about that, other people will flock to that. And most of the time, you'll you'll find some trolls that don't agree with you on social media, but you'll definitely find people who do and who will support you and boost your stuff. So that just really opened my eyes. And also, I probably will be making a burner account after having this <laughs> conversation. And as a reminder, Jamal's book comes out this week. It's Queer Love in Color, and it's a photographic celebration of love and relationships of queer people of color. So go out and buy it, order it, support Jamal. Yes. All right, Christina, who or what are you keeping tabs on this week? This week, I'm keeping tabs on a little four-song EP by musical artist Corday. Some people might know that he dates tennis star Naomi Osaka. He mentions that on the EP, too. But um, this has just been my work-from-home tunes for now. Um, He said that this little EP is just a teaser. Uh, His new album's coming out soon. So I definitely love listening to hip-hop and rap and Uh, It's been getting me through my work from home phase. What about you? I am recommending Mona Shalaby's Instagram. She's a Guardian data journalist. And I think she just posts the most amazing and moving and informative 
pieces of visual journalism all in this kind of signature style. And she's got this way of explaining really complicated phenomena so clearly. I actually interviewed her for the magazine this past issue. Yeah, yeah I read that. So I also recommend checking out that to learn a little bit more about her. That's what I've been keeping tabs on. Awesome. Well, remember, y'all, if you're listening, you can always let us know what you're keeping tabs on by tweeting at us. Use the hashtag FC podcast. And my Twitter is Miss Chris D. Yes. What's your Twitter? At Yasmin Gagne. That's my name. Thanks for listening to Hit the Ground Running. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and recommend this show to a colleague or friend. Also, if you have a few minutes, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're a new show and your review helps others find us. Or you can send us an email at podcast at fastcompany.com to let us know your thoughts and tell us if you're having a question or issue you'd like us to tackle on the show. Hit the Ground Running is produced by Franz Bowen with help from Blake Odom with editorial oversight from Kate Davis. 